Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. You'll see in karate, there's so many different ways to compete. It's a combination of all the combat sports. Mesdames et Messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever Podcast, the podcast for Olympics fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? Hiya! <laughs> I think that might be your favorite aspect of karate. It, it is. <laughs> I'm ready to go. It's barefoot. Mm-hmm. And you get to yell. This is a perfect sport for me. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we are talking karate today. Karate is one of the new sports on the Olympic program. And it is exciting because it's one of the martial arts that has its roots in Japan. It's going to be a big deal at Tokyo 2020. And the sport's going to have two competitions. There's going to be kata and kumite. And kata is a competition around the offensive and defensive forms used in karate. And they the athletes demonstrate them as if they were competing against a virtual opponent. So to me, that's kind of like figures and figure skating. Yeah, the old school figures they, where you're they, just on there on the ice. Yeah, yourself. exactly. But but we were watching some competitions last night, and it's like a head-to-head competition. So you're matched up against somebody, but there's just one person on the floor at a time when in the individual competition. So it's not a score. It's whoever did it better. It's a score because you don't know what kata they're going to choose necessarily. Oh, you know what it sounds like? It actually sounds like um, in ballroom competition where you go head to head like in the tango. Uh huh. And you both do the same dance. Yeah, in a sense. But apparently there are, and we'll get into this a little bit because uh, our interview today does talk about kata a little, but they also talk about the different forms of karate. And there's all these different styles of karate. And everybody can have their own style. So you could have two people of different styles do, and they have different katas to choose from in their style. So it's kind of like, I think that's part of the strategy. You want to choose your kata style. You want to choose your kata carefully because if you can perform it versus whatever your opponent's chosen, you know, I, there might be some difficulty stuff, but, hmm. 
it's it's something that I'm just I'm starting to grasp what's going on. But it was really interesting that you have these forms and figures that are presented and it's it's more competitive than figures and figure skating were. It, it is kind of like a dance battle and I, I just, part of me is like oh boy listeners don't tell us what you think about dance battles but it is kind of a hey I have this routine that I'm doing and I'm going to show how I can do my routine better than you and whoever wins the battle gets to move on to the next round it's like Justin and Brittany going at it at the Olympics <laughs> all right <laughs> The other form of karate is kumite, and that's the fighting that you that uh, karate is known for. And our guest today does compete in kumite. He is American Tom Scott. He competes in the 75-kilogram weight class and is currently ranked sixth in both the Karate One Premier League and the Tokyo 2020 standings. Our contributor, Ben Jackson, talked with Tom about the sport and how it will work at the Olympics. Take a listen. Thanks for, for taking some time to talk. I think the place for us to start with karate being a new sport for the Olympics, can you describe what the sport is like and how it is that people should be watching it, what they should be looking for? Sure. So karate compared to other combat sports, it's a, it's a little bit unique. It's a little different. The entire combat is based around respect and control. So where in other combat sports, you know, a knockout is a win in karate, when you knock someone out, you're disqualified. You have to make contact with your techniques and you have to touch either their face or their head or their body with your hand or your foot. But if you impact their ability to compete, then you're penalized, if that makes sense. So, you know, you'll notice that the sport always starts and ends with a bow. You bow when you get penalized. You bow when you get the point. So there's a constant theme of respect for your referees and opponents and things like that, which is inherent to karate as an activity anyway. So that's a part of the beauty behind it. But also, I guess, just the idea that you, you have to make contact, but you can't hurt your opponent is an important aspect. Besides that, there's a lot that goes into scoring points besides just making contact. So your technique has to be good karate technique. So if even though you're hitting the other person, sometimes a spectator might see athletes hitting each other, but nobody's getting points or the action continues and they might be like, well, what happened there? Well, something was just not right. So there's a lot of criteria for each score that has to be perfect. The distance has to be perfect. The timing has to be right. The technique has to look a certain way. So there are some things there to answer any questions when action's going on, but people are wondering why was that not a point. So who's judging that technique? Sure. So there are five officials involved in any match. So four are sitting in the corners, and they're the ones that decide points. And then one head referee is walking around with the athletes in the ring just looking for penalties, stopping the action, awarding the points that are given by the four on the corners. And so the way that it works is that the four in the corners use flags to show what they saw. So if they see a score, they'll throw their flag out, and you need at least two of the four corner officials to agree on a point to be for the match to stop and points or penalties to be awarded. 
And if you and your opponent, say, were to come at each other at the same time, and you both, through a technique, could both of you score a point at the same time? Correct. So if two athletes come at each other and two officials see it one way, two see it the other way, both athletes are awarded points. Okay. And how long is each, is it a bout or a match? Sure, exactly. So the one match is three minutes long uh, with stop time. So anytime that the there's points or penalties or anything like that, the clock stops, points that are given, and then the clock goes back on. And you notice the athletes will reset at their standing lines for every stop and start. So three minutes, it doesn't sound like a long time, but when someone's trying to punch you or kick you, it seems like that could burn a lot of energy quickly. <laughs> Correct, yeah, it, it is fast. It does go pretty quick. But I think, you know, when you have these tournaments of, you know, 150 people getting done in one day, by the time you've finished a tournament, if you've done well, you've had six or seven matches. So you know, six or seven three-minute matches is a decent amount for a day. And uh, that's kind of why it's that way. And for the Olympics, there will be pool play. So there will you will have four matches with your opponents, four three-minute matches with different opponents each. So, uh, but we can get to that, that stuff later. I think just another key thing that'll, that is different for karate than other sports is that there's a an advantage that's awarded for the first athlete to score the first point. So if you score the first unopposed point, so not like we were talking earlier where both athletes score at the same time, that won't count. But if one athlete scores and the other one didn't in an instant, then they're also given senshu, which is a, a small advantage for if it comes down to a tie later on and it's four to four, whoever got that first clean point wins the tie. Okay. You have the individual matches and you said, you know, people could be fighting many matches in one day. So what does the tournament look like then? Is it a direct elimination or are there, are, is there, you score points and then everyone is ranked at the end or how does it shake out in terms of the, who wins the, the tournament? Yep. It's a big bracket style elimination. And at the very end, you have two finalists, two people left. And then they'll also do, if you lost to a finalist, they'll string together each individual who lost to that finalist. And those guys will all compete in repechage for bronze. So in a way, kind of a double elimination. If, if you lose, and your person that you lost to loses, then you're out of medal contention. If you lose and your per, your opponent goes on to the finals, you're back in for trying to compete to get into the bronze medal match. So you're kind of rooting for your opponent at some point. If, if you lose, yes, you want yeah. that guy to keep going. <laughs> so the Olympics will look like this. Is this how all the tournaments are run? No. The Olympics will be a different format. Since we've squeezed our way into the Olympic Games this time, we, uh, you know, it's a it's a showcase event. So it will actually be a very selective number of athletes. In the tournament I was just in in Chile, for example, there were 80 athletes in my category, all competing bracket style, you know, to get to the final two. 
in the Olympics, it'll be 10 athletes and it won't be bracket style because that that'll be pretty quick. So with the 10 athletes, you have two pools of five and five and they each fight each other in a round robin system. And then you take the top two from each side and have a semifinal. You cross them to the other groups and you have semifinal final. With only 10 people being allowed in the Olympics, can you tell me the Olympic qualifying path? Yeah, it's, a, it's crazy. It's a machine right now. It all starts, there are 10 spots per category, and the first four come from world ranking. So right now, there are events about two per month all over the world through May of next year. And these events give you points based on your total wins. If you medal, you get points based on those. And for athletes in May from Japan automatically qualifies one athlete. Japan gets qualified, and is that in each weight class? Correct. Everyone else sort of has to to fight be, to get to the top ranking in the world. Is that sort of where that goes? Yep. So four athletes come from world ranking. Okay. Then they'll have a tournament in Paris in May of 2020. That'll be the last chance qualifier minus Japan and the four athletes that have already qualified through ranking, one athlete from every country in the world will compete there to get the top three at that tournament. Those three will then qualify. Finally, the East phase is kind of wild card phase where they'll go around the world to each continent and select champions who have not yet qualified, who are still high ranking and to also maintain global diversity in, in uh, you know, each, each category. So they want representation from all of the continents. So if, if Europe really dominates a certain weight class, they'll have those last two spots to involve Pan American, Asian, African, and Oceanic continental standings too. So. Okay. And with this qualifying path and all of these different areas, there are certainly different paths for, for an athlete to get there. But is there an ideal path or a preferred path? Like as you think about getting to the Olympics, would, would your goal be just to qualify in that outright part so that it's, it's set or, or win your way into the tournaments? I mean, how do you, how do you sort of play yeah. on your, your, your path to the Olympics? Sure. Yeah, exactly. For me right now, you know, we're in the ranking phase. So ranking is the goal. And, you know, right now we're in a good spot, knock on wood, you know, we're, we're performing well and we're ranked where we would qualify through ranking. So if the qualification ended today, we, would get to go. So we'll just have to keep maintaining that spot and fighting hard for the next seven or eight months. But correct. So whichever phase we're in, that's the goal. Right. And there's the kumite, which is the, the combat part of this. Am I right in thinking that kata is also a piece of, of the sport now or of the Olympic version of it? Yes. So there will be uh, male and female kata as well. Okay. And then how is that judged? Do you have a sense of that? I realize it's, it's not your direct comp competition area, but. 
that is now point-based scoring system. So for the last several years, they used almost the same as Kumite, like a bracket-style event, eliminations through flags. So they would have five officials, and they would vote, and it would be best three out of five. Well, that... It works for the karate world, but for the spectator world, can be very divided this kata, be this kata. There are seven officials for kata. They will give scores based on your technical performance and also your athletic performance and, and that way. So there are other athletes that know it a little bit better than I do, but at least now spectators will be able to see scores and know why certain athletes did a better kata, whether they were athletically faster, stronger, or someone was technically more correct and stuck to their style and their techniques were done well. So it's going to be very Olympic friendly now, or spectator friendly, I mean. And you mentioned style there. So there are lots of styles of karate. Is there a a particular style? Is is this Shotokan or Shorinru or or one of those? Or is it more of a hybrid style for the karate that will be in the Olympics? No, so you're right. There are many different styles, and they will compete against each other. So what the referee has to account for is how well did that athlete do the kata according to that, how that style is supposed to be done. So that's a lot of knowledge needed for each official to know the different styles and how they're supposed to be done, even competing against each other. So you'll have Shotokan against Goju, against Shito, all competing against each other. And that's the same way in the Kumite as well? Correct, all styles. Okay. And as you think about this and you're getting up, on the line to compete and you're there with your opponent what's going through your mind in terms of how you approach these matches like what what does an athlete have to be thinking about as you're getting ready to to do the match sure so it's a it's a really neat aspect about our sport that's you know it's very unique that there are different athletes go about it different ways you know some like to get really pumped up fired up and want to think about the fight where Phil and other athletes maintain kind of a little bit of a more, with our sport, you know, it being basically a fast game of tag with punches and kicks, you know, you're supposed to be able to match without getting beat down, right? Like you're not going to get kicked in the leg and inhibited or knocked out and have to come back from that. So it's a chess game. So for me, I like to maintain a really calm composure, try and just think about my strategies and tactics and not get like too super hyped up or jazzed or anything like that. So it's, it's a very unique combat sport in that way. And also with Olympic qualification going on right now, like for me, my big focus is to think about strategies and tactics and not try and think about Olympic qualification, obviously, because, you know, that's only a distraction. So, you know, I, I enjoy doing what I do and, you know, I've been doing it for a long time. Even before we got into the Olympics, I loved this sport. And so for me, you know, the next event is just my favorite one. And we're, we're excited to have this opportunity, of course, though, to, to be a part of the Olympic Games. But, you know, when I'm out there, I'm not thinking about it because that doesn't help me get there. <laughs> right. And this sport 
I think for a lot of people on the outside looking in might say, well, gee, you know, isn't this a lot like having Taekwondo or you mentioned it's another combat sport is how is it different? Why is it not sort of duplicate, you know, duplication of, of the other combat sports there? Sure. So, I mean, the, the biggest and first difference is that I think you'll see in karate, there's so many different ways to compete. It's a combination of all the combat sports. You know, in judo, it's only wrestling and throwing. In taekwondo, it's only kicking. In boxing, it's only punching. Well, in karate, you're going to have punching experts. You're going to have kicking experts, and you're going to have takedown artists all competing against each other. So, you know, in taekwondo, you don't get to take somebody down. But in karate, you'll see grabs and throws and, and scores on the ground. You'll also see a lot of, you know, fantastic kicking and you'll see how punching specialists try and, and make their way through those different types of opponents. So it's karate is a big key thing is like a, is matchups. How is this takedown artist going to do against this puncher? And how are these guys going to do against this great kicker? And then you'll see athletes that can do all three. So that's, that's the, the exciting and first big difference is I think it's the most diverse sport, if that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't realize that takedowns were, were part of karate. I thought it was all punching and kicking. So that's interesting to learn. Yeah, so you'll see athletes, you know, trying to kick each other's legs out so that they fall down. Or you'll see an athlete cat, catch a kick with their hands and then use their legs to sweep the person to the floor. But if they end up on the floor, it's no points unless you still score a punch. So okay. you have to put them on the ground and then punch them to get points. I, I realized that you said early on that knockouts are, are not part of this and, and hitting someone in a way that causes, that interferes with their ability to compete is not part of this. But at the end of these matches or at the end of a tournament, if you've fought multiple people, I think you said up to seven, don't you end up feeling a little beat up at the end of the day? Absolutely. And that's, that's part of what makes a great champion, I think. You know, yes, if everyone's got skills, everyone can kick and punch and flexibility and endurance, but you have to be able to do it five, six, seven times. So you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, you're you're feeling it in your knee. You, you got bumped. You got kicked hard. You know, you, you're definitely you're still going to have a bloody nose, even though that's not the intent. It's going to happen. And these hits are hard. They're just if they're uncontrolled, then they're they're penalized. But a good score is still, you know, a good hard hit. Now, I was watching some of the matches, at least in the matches I saw, there was no headgear. Correct. And, and there won't be any headgear at the Olympics? Correct. Okay. You know, you're probably doing a lot of, a lot of sparring and a lot of technique work, but how do you train for this sport? I mean, it seems like there's so much going on. Sure. To comment on the headgear, I mean, the main reason for headgear is, uh, like you'll see in Taekwondo, you know, the headgear is not going to stop someone's foot from hurting you. The headgear is for, since, since knockout is a part of their sport, the headgear is for if an athlete gets knocked out from a kick, when that athlete proceeds to fall to the floor, that's why they have the headgear. It's when you get knocked out to just help buffer that second impact of hitting the ground. Clearly, even with the headgear, you'll still see a kick knock someone out. Right. Um, in karate, since a knockout is not part of the sport or shouldn't be and is, you know, seen much, much, much less, uh, 
as preparing, you know, we do a lot of cross training. I will do swimming in the pool, uh, swimming laps and working on expanding my lungs. Uh, We also do work at the track. So short sprints, 100, 200, 300, 400 meters and different. You can change up the distances or the rest times to work on gaining different goals, of course. And then uh, we do a lot of skills training as well. So practices in the karate school almost every evening or every other evening. So, you know, in, in a given day, we're we're doing one or two workouts a day, uh, one in the morning, one in the afternoon or evening, working conditioning or skills. If I recall right from your bio, one of the things that, that you do to sort of make your Olympic dream possible is you're also teaching karate at the same time. Is that right? Yes. So I'm full time in, in the karate school where I grew up at. Does that help or, or is that kind of a nice adjunct to the training in that you're, you're showing other people and so you're constantly thinking about about karate? You don't have to go and, I don't know, work, work a different kind of job, sit in front of a computer all day or something? So, I mean, you, you definitely touched on something that's important. I mean, for as American athletes, that part is really tough. As Americans, we, we have to go to school. Um, you know, and I, I did, and I completed my degree and got my master's as well. And, and then we have to go work. So a lot of my teammates, they, they have their daytime job, in whatever state that they're in across the country. And then they also need to have time off to travel, think about getting paid, you know, all of these things there. And we're, we're competing against professionals, right? Uh, Turkey, Iran, Japan, this is their full-time gig every day, all day. So for their wins, they get apartments and cars. That's what we're up against. And I'm in a very, very fortunate situation. You know, my own man, Sensei uh, Brody Burns, he has made it to where, you know, I can work full-time in the karate school. And so now I'm not worried about all of those aspects that have been a burden to many of my teammates. So, you know, I'm not fighting for days off or unpaid leave. You know, he's he's my coach, so he wants me to get out there and he wants me to go compete and, and live this dream to the fullest. So, you know, I'm just in a real blessed spot and and I wouldn't have it any other way either. I mean, it's really neat to come home and teach classes and be humbled by, you know, sometimes four year olds that don't care where you just came back from or what medal you won. They wanna see what game you're playing that day, you know. It's just it's really I really enjoy my ride and process through this journey and I definitely have a unique one. Looking at this from the spectator's view, is there anything that people watching at home should be thinking about that might not be obvious to them as they, as they watch the karate bouts? Yes. So I think something, you know, that is important is in karate, you get points for being the first athlete to score, right? So what you'll find is a lot of, you're playing tag. So you'll see a lot of jockeying for position, a lot of patience. So the athletes are not going to jump right out there and run at the other person because it's too easy to get countered. So sometimes you'll watch a karate match and you'll see two people, you know, kind of doing movements and testing each other, but nothing's happening. Well, that's because they, they're respecting the opponent's ability to just quickly counter them. So karate, a lot of the ways, is like a soccer game, 
you know, you're going to, sometimes you'll have a match that's, that's just crazy scoring, high scoring game. And then sometimes you'll have a one zero or a zero zero win. And that's where a spectator needs to be patient and appreciate, you know, it might be just a shootout, which is awesome. And we hope for those, but it might also be a one zero tactical win. So you never know what you're going to get. If that makes any sense, there's an appreciation for the tactics and strategies and the movements, even without the punches and kicks. So I think that's something to, to put out there that sometimes you'll see a lot. Sometimes there might be uh, some testing and some uh, waiting. Getting that feel for who's across from you then. Exactly. Trying to see what they're up to without giving up that first crucial score. Because remember, that first clean point gets the advantage in a tiebreaker. Uh, if it goes 0-0, zero, zero, by the end of three minutes, then they, the referees do a decision and all five of them vote for who was the most aggressive, who had the closest scoring opportunities, even though neither of them scored. And then, you know, who was just kind of more dominant. So who was more tactical, who was pushing the action, um, those sort of things come into their, their head and their mind making that decision. So if it's one, one, and, but someone scored first, then that person, there's no need for a decision. The first scoring athlete will win. And then, I, you know, when we were talking about style, I forgot to ask, but, but which style do you specialize in? I do WADO, W-A-D-O. So WADO is one of the four original traditional styles from Japan. Now, WADO creates very good fighters, um, but it's less known for its kata. So... You won't see very many kata athletes at the Olympics doing wado kata, but there might be a few there that are that are fighters. So I think I've asked pretty much all of the questions that I had, but is there anything else that we missed or something that we didn't cover that we want to let people know about? Well, I think that, that covering the rules and stuff, that's pretty good. I guess, oh, there were some parts of the rules. I guess scoring, yes, we did, we did cover, you know, if you see if two referees agree, then you get points, but how do you get points? All punches to the face and to the body are one point each. And the easiest scores, kicks to the body are two points, and then kicks to the head or the takedown to the ground with a punch are both worth three points, the maximum score. So you can either score one, two, or three points, and the referees in the corners display this, by putting their red or blue flag out low towards the ground for one point, straight out parallel to the ground for two points, or up in the air for three points. And then uh, the same goes for their decision. If there's a tie-breaking decision at the end, referee raises red or blue above their head, depending on which way they vote. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Tom and Ben. Tom, we are definitely rooting for you to make it to Tokyo. You can follow Tom on Twitter at TomScott75, on Insta at TomScott75, and on Facebook at TomScottKarate. And we will have links to all of those in the show notes. And we'll also have a link to... Um, I found this really helpful because Tokyo 2020 has put together those one-minute videos on every sport. So I was watching the one-minute video about karate, and that was very helpful. Does anybody yell haya in the middle of it? I don't know because it didn't really have sound, or at least I couldn't get the sound to work. Well, I'll just do it for you. 
but you do hear people yell and scream. Okay, so we Ben and I spent a lot of time watching uh, karate videos, and I got to say, the officials who officiate karate, they have a tough job because they have to be familiar with all of those different styles of karate to be able to know if it's getting done correctly. And they wear suits. Oh, do they? Yes. Do they wear the hats too? No, no, but it is full on suit, which I thought was really interesting. Well, that is the same thing with weightlifting. You know, Mm -hmm. they had those very formal regulations. Right. So we kind of wondered, like, now this is another topic to put on the list because we we wanted to know how did the suit become an officiating standby? Because they have those in athletics, too. You see a lot of people in blazers and stuff when in, in the track and field competitions. So well, that was the default. I mean, the the spectators would come dressed like that. Well, yeah, but in, in ages past, so I guess right. they just the officials have not gone business casual. I don't. I, well, in in wrestling, they have. They're they're big polo. Archery has big has polos too. But it was what was also interesting is that we watched an, uh, a karate match from the eighties, and the official back then. First off, in karate today, there's uh, one one the red side and the blue side. So if you're on the red side, you wear a red belt and you have red foam gloves over your hands and uh, feet. And then there's the blue side, same deal with them. But back in this 1980s match, it was red versus white. And there, there was no hand protection or foot protection. And the referee also did not wear shoes. Oh. Yeah. And I kind of think that it had something to do with how you respected the the tatami and the Japanese culture of taking on their shoes. So I, I very curious about this now. They probably had very nice pedicures. <laughs> Cause if you're going to show your feet to these athletes <laughs> so that they take you seriously, you got to have those feet in tip top shape. Anyway. So thank you, Tom. Hey, let's move on to our team Olympic fever update. <laughs> Tofu. This is our segment where we check in with our past guests and see what they're up to. Our water polo player, Tony Acevedo, has his own collection of apparel. The well, Tony... it makes sense. Yes, it does. It's, it's Tony Acevedo water polo collection. Did you see some of these Speedos? Well, you can't I even call it a Speedo because it's not Speedo brand, but it's very tiny swimsuits for men. Well, when we spoke to Tony, he talked about how he had lived his life in these very tiny bathing suits yes so he knows this well yes i was a particular fan of the hot pink i know i know there's a hot pink for men and then a women's suit that also has and yeah it's hot pink with the tony azaveda logo on the butt loved it (laughs) but he also has he has women's suits as well that look pretty nice i mean like they look like they have a lot of flexibility for arm and leg movement but also like will stay in place which we talked about before that the the most wardrobe malfunctions happen in women's water right, polo. Right. So check it out. We'll have a link to his store in the show notes. He's also got like sports bras and shorts and t-shirts and tanks and all kinds of other athletic gear as well, not just swimsuits. Our loser, Shiva Keshevan, sliding sports season is starting again. So the Twitter feed is full of sliding sports stuff. And I've noticed that Shiva Keshevan is part of the Outstanding Speakers Bureau now. So you can book him for your keynote speech at your next event. Can I, I just book him to come have dinner with me? <laughs> he was such a great, fun interview. 
I can imagine what the person on the other side of the form would think if you sent in a could I, I would like Shiva to come and speak at my family dinner. <laughs> Thanksgiving. I need, we need a little pep talk. We need some inspiration. We need us to to get us out and trying new things. We need Shiva. There you go. So if you have an event, you can book him at outstandingspeakersbureau.in. Check that out for more information. And we will have a link to that in the show notes. Let's move on to Tokyo 2020 news. So, Jill, yes. has there been some trouble because they just <laughs> spontaneously moved the Tokyo oh. 20 Marathon? Oh, my gosh. This is hilarious. So, yes. Yeah. Yes, there has been fallout. It has been a fun week in the news. If you remember, the IOC just put out this press release that said, we are moving the marathon and the race walking events from Tokyo to Sapporo. And caught a lot of people by surprise, including the mayor of Sapporo, who had no idea that this was happening until news outlets started contacting him for quotes. So they didn't check with the mayor to see if this was okay with him. No, no, they just said, we're moving it. So a bunch of athletes were angry because that's been coming up in the news. Athletes who have said, uh, and and granted, okay, so the IOC has a point. It's going to be very hot in Tokyo. The island of Hokkaido is a lot cooler. We've just had this world championships in a very hot country. And the marathon was kind of a disaster because a lot of people dropped out of the race because it was so hot. And let's just not have the same issue next year with the Olympics. We'll preemptively just move it to a cooler place. Problem is the athletes have all been training for this hot, humid location. Well, some haven't, some haven't. That was the amazing thing that some people hadn't started training, didn't train for Doha, Qatar weather for the world championships. So of course they're going to have problems, but you're right. People have already like laid out plans for years to be able to run in this heat. Right. And it's not just the heat, it's the humidity. You know, it's not just it's, Wow, you sound like a Midwestern. <laughs> I do sound like a Midwesterner and I'm, I feel the soul. But I mean, Doha was that it's a desert. It's a very different mm-hmm. Yeah, this will be a different different heat. So this is a different heat. So what a couple of athletes were saying was, no, we didn't train for Doha because we're already training for Tokyo. Ah, okay. So they were already doing like, you know, a two-year plan to get them ready for that because that's the more important Mm -hmm. race. Right, right. But I hadn't even thought of that athletes' whole training plans would be blown up because now they have to prepare for a completely different environment. Exactly. Exactly. It's different terrain, it's different mm-hmm. uh, weather, it's different. Everything is going to be different there. Right. And so, and then there were other athletes who I've seen on uh, Twitter. I read through like NBC Sports or NBC Sports Olympics coverage. Families have already made plans to travel to Tokyo and probably spent money to get their stuff to Tokyo. So now they have to disrupt that and figure out. Sapporo st- bookings. So that's up in arms. And and now there's a big question of for them of where do I really need to go and be and how am I going to get there? Right. And are they going to change their minds now because there's been an uproar? Right. So don't change your plans yeah. yet. Right. And then so you can't I, make new plans. Right. <sighs> so and then, okay, so I have two other things. 
Tokyo has already put in a ton of money putting together that road surface that reflects the heat. Right. So they've already invested a lot of resources into figuring out how to combat the heat because they knew this was going to be a problem. So you've wasted money there. And who knows how much money Tokyo is on the hook for for the research and development they've already done and how much they have to still pay out. I mean, they probably signed contracts with other companies to provide these street surfaces. So what are they still on the hook for? And can Sapporo even be ready? That's another question. Like, it takes a while to organize one of these events. How are they going to do it? So I have a theory. And this is this is one of my theories. Uh, oh, uh, also, there's been outcry from different publications to protest the IOC's move. And the IOC actually apologized for their abrupt plans. So uh, this was in Japan today. And the IOC said... Uh, John Coates, who's an IOC member, and uh, he apologized for the abrupt announcement and said it was just a matter of implementation and uh, you, you can't leave this stuff up in the air. We just had to decide we had to do it and we didn't want any rumors to uh, start around this whole thing. So it was just better to come out and say what our plan is. All right. John Coates is also the guy who said, oh, hey, we're going to announce who's going to get the 2032 Olympics next year and it's going to be Queensland. Remember that? Right. I wonder if he's just going off the rails. Oh, John Coates going rogue? Maybe, and not Jacques Rogue. <laughs> I wonder. He, I mean... Well, he is he is Australian, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, they do have a reputation for speaking their minds. Yes. And so maybe Coates is publicly airing some of the things that are happening behind the scenes. Like these conversations have been always happening, but John Coates is like, you know what? I'm just bringing it out there. Yeah, maybe. I like him already. I like him, but he's getting, you know, because then T-Bach, remember, had to backpedal and say, no, 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 we are not doing 2032 next year, and we don't know if it's going to be Queensland. And now he's got to... And even though the IOC released the statement, so it was official, it was, it was official, but you got to wonder if there's going to be some backpedaling because there's going to be another Tokyo commission meeting at the end of the month of this month. So end of so October, beginning be of November. So they yeah, this could will be the final decision for yeah. so the, the marathon. We'll we'll have to see what they come up with. Oh, John Coates. <laughs> I will be. Looking forward to what comes out of this commission meeting. We'll find out in a couple of weeks. I'll be looking forward to see what comes out of John Coates' mouth next. <laughs> I know. I'm watching him. <laughs> also in Tokyo 2020 news, the cycling road race course was actually damaged by some of the landslides caused by uh, Typhoon Hagibis uh, the other week. Uh, Duncan McKay reported that in Inside the Games. And there were, there were a couple pictures that looked like the road's pretty torn up in one area. So that could take some months to repair. But hopefully they will get that done in time. And also, Tokyo 2020 announced a big Nippon Festival that's going to be co-hosted programs held in collaboration with local governments and cultural arts groups uh, nationwide. So this is going to be all year next year where they're going to have big things that are kind of in conjunction with Tokyo 2020. And then 
uh, during the games itself, there's going to be this no Gaku festival, which is going to be a giant celebration of no theater, which is ancient. It was a, a form of theater uh, originating in the 14th century. Well, Pierre de Coubertin mm-hmm. always wanted an arts festival mm-hmm. happening in conjunction with the athletic events. So the Japanese have just taken this and run with it. I know. It's exciting. So, And it's nice to see that promoted because there, there's been elements of that, I think, at every Olympics. But you don't necessarily know it just from being a regular person sitting at home. So, well, I'll be interested to see when you're there and, and some of the listeners are there do you see it? Is it mm-hmm. a part of the fabric of the event? On on my, I'm putting that in my notebook. What to look speaking for? Speaking of speaking of fabric of the event. Oh yeah, Paris 2024 had a big release of its new logo. They are very excited about this. And for the first time, it's going to be the same logo for the Olympics and the Paralympics, which I think is fantastic because you're really bringing the two events symbolically as equal and joined together and being treated the same, which I think is fantastic. I would agree with that. Uh, So the old logo was like a 2-4 in the shape of the Eiffel Tower. This is a circular logo that is basically a gold medal with a flame inside it. But the flame, if you look at it in a different way, is also the head of a woman And that's supposed to be Marianne, who is a symbol of the French Republic. If you don't know, that's that's something I did not know and had to look up. So I did not know about Marianne, but once I saw the woman's head, Mm -hmm. I couldn't see it any other way. I know. When I first looked at it, I said, "Why are there lips in the the flame?" That's what I said too. And then as I was reading, it said, oh, there's a woman's head. And then I saw the woman's head and now I can't see it as anything else. Yeah, it's very hard for me to see it as anything else or my eyes keep switching back and forth between the flame and Marianne. And that almost bothers me more. It's interesting, but I don't. I like the I other hate... one better. Yeah, I like you know, the 24 with the Eiffel Tower a little better. Oh, see, I don't I like the idea of the gold medal and the flame. I'm not thrilled about having. A woman's face in there which is weird because there are so many of the the older olympics have statues and things like that in their posters and their emblems so why this bothers me i, I don't know but i think it's the eyes playing tricks on me that i, th- I was gonna say really... i think it's the optical illusion part of it mm-hmm. that's a little disruptive but i think right. you know what i think it'll grow on us and we'll come to love marianne mm-hmm. and even though she sort of looks like a wig head <laughs> That's what she reminded me of. So when I was a kid, my mother had a wig Mm -hmm. and she had the little styrofoam wig head. Mm -hmm. And my four-year-old self drew a face on the wig head and gave her these big giant lips that were shaped, you know, because it's very that bow lip. Mm -hmm. So when I, once I saw Marianne's face, I said, oh, that looks like my mother's wig head. Oh, man. (laughs) Hey, that was one snazzy looking fall Well, there you go. There you go. So it has good, happy childhood memories for me. So I will grow to love Marianne. Yes. And and they did change the typeface and they also changed their website. And the, the typeface is this Art Deco. So it kind of goes back to when Paris hosted in 1924. And that type, I really like the font. Did you just say you really like the font? I do really like the font. I, hey, may, I like fonts. That may be the nerdiest thing you have ever said on this show. <laughs> listeners who will appreciate that 
Uh, before we wrap it up for this week, we've got some news from our end. We are starting a newsletter. So if you'd like to get Olympic Fever in your inbox, go to our website, olimfever.com, and sign up for the newsletter there. It'll come out uh, weekly or tw- uh, once every other week. We're still working on that. But we wanted to be able to share some stories about what goes on behind the scenes and uh, some things from the guests and other cool Olympic stuff. And we'd also like to hear your favorite Olympic moments because we'd like to share those as well. So if you've got a favorite Olympic moment, you can send that to us as well. And we will feature it in the newsletter. We would like to thank our Patreon supporters and PayPal donors for uh, supporting the show. And you can find out how to support us at olimfever.com slash support hyphen the hyphen show. And uh, Patreon donors get special perks and we've got another perk coming up for all donors uh that we're going to be announcing within the next couple of weeks so be on the lookout for that and that will wrap it up for this week tell us what you thought of tom scott and what you think of karate being added to the olympic program Email us at olimfever at gmail.com or call our voicemail hotline at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. You can also hit us up on Twitter and Insta at olimfever. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Okay, play the machine right now.